If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us in exchange for exclusive access, early access and so, so, so much more, check us out over on Patreon. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash aaopera. Hello, 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 and welcome back to AA Opera Podcast episode <laughs> 65. <laughs> Would you believe it? <laughs> I think we've got to give them some context. So, you would think that we are um, podcast experts by now, but today has been the mishap after mishap after mishap. So, like on some other podcasts that you might have heard out there, people say, oh, we've tried to record this several times, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Oh, my God, they are not wrong. <laughs> they are They are not wrong. I mean, you should see the state of us right now. We're currently sat with a chair, with Abby's laptop sat on top of the chair and us two either side of it. Um. So this is this is the setup for today. So we're just going to have to roll. Um, but I apologize for any sound that's different from usual. But we're here, and we've made it to episode 65, and we have a brilliant guest today, but dare I ask, Abby, how has your week been? The week's been fine. It's been a, it's been a rocky one, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, but, I'm trying really hard to get 10,000 steps a day, um, which I got very aggravated, because yesterday I got to 9,050. So then I started stomping around my house, because I only have a phone, I don't have an Apple Watch. Yeah. So then I started stomping around my house yeah. to try and get the numbers up. Okay. Didn't work. Yeah. But at the same time, um, going for walks in hay fever season, a bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie. Yeah. You've survived and thrived. <laughs> but we had a bonding experience last time we uh, recorded the podcast. And it was just after we had recorded Beginning and Ends for last yes. week's episode. Yeah. Would you like to share with our audience? Oh, I'm still in recovery mode. <laughs> um, you know, London, it's a big city, right? And strange things happen. It's filled with beautiful people, um, but some strange people as well. And uh, sadly, I was uh, standing at the traffic lights with my dear friend Abby and uh, I was approached by a man who wanted to lick my face um, yeah he came so, up from behind you and he tried to lick your ear and I just saw Abby's face start to change because I was just in conversation mode chatting away and Abby's face started to just look a bit like confused and a little bit worried and I thought you were going to say to me you've got like a spider or a fly in your hair or something like that and I turned around and there was a fully grown man with his tongue out trying to lick my face yes so luckily he didn't yeah he did not i caught you one time i mean you did save me out of that situation i did did love two things one what he said to you right after he tried to lick you and two what you said like 10 minutes after we left well i forget What, what did i say so he said i live in the park what a chat of life. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and you said, oh, if you would have licked me, I would have gone right away to a and Well, I would have. <laughs> I would have. Like, I would have actually just gone to get myself checked over. Like, <laughs> but I've not experienced like that, anything like that ever. Um, no. Three years living in London and I've not had a, a scary experience like that. But you I'm just had glad a lick that you, yet. No, I have not. But I'm just so glad, honestly, that you were with me. Because if I was alone, I probably would have just... I mean, I did... 
I laugh at my reaction now. Like, I did overreact. I did we scream <laughs> and like just get. I've just got this shiver down my left hand shoulder all the time when I think about it now. Anyway, anyway, can we please move on? We will move on. <laughs> Other than almost being like, how has your week been? Yeah, it's it's been really good. I mean, we are in like heat wave here in London right oh, now, yeah. and after today's fiasco, we're definitely feeling that. Um, but it's nice to have the sun out. There's been plenty rosy. I've been watching the Euros. Ooh. Um, the football, come on England, football's coming over. <laughs> Sorry, we watched all those videos too yeah. on Sunday. I, um, I'm really into the football, so I'm in my element right now. Um, but I do have to say though, Sunday's game was not the best game. No, it wasn't. I was saying like the first 10-15 minutes, cracking. Yeah. yeah. But then it got boring. Um, like so. there was no need to add time. <laughs> To the clock afterwards. It's like nothing is going yeah. to happen. Yeah, I know, but I, I believe in England. It's only up from here. It's only up from here. But, 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 to all of our Patreons out there, or if you do are not a member of our Patreon and you'd like to join, we are www.patreon.com forward slash AA Opera. AA Opera. We would love to um, do a watch along for Cardiff Singers of the World with everyone. So if you are a member, please check it out. Um, and this is very exciting because one of our um, podcast guests and friend of the podcast, yep. Stephanie Wake Edwards, is actually a contestant on <gasps> Cardiff Singers of the World. Whoop, whoop, go Steph! And also shout out to uh, Sarah, who's also on... Ram alumni. Yeah, Ram alumni. Ram alam. Ram alam. <laughs> Ram alam. And she's Welsh as well. And she's Welsh. But also, not only do we want to hang out with you and watch it, but today's guest is also Welsh. Yeah. Welsh all around. <laughs> but uh, she does not sound Welsh, but she is Welsh. So, without further ado, here is today's guest, Nina Brazier. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome. I'm so glad to introduce you all to Nina Brazier here that we have a director and founder and host of the Opera Pod. Can you introduce yourself to our audience just a bit more so they know who you are? Of course. So I'm Nina Brazier. I'm a stage director. I'm based in Frankfurt. I do have a job here as a staff director at Opera Frankfurt here in the city. But on the side, I'm also a freelance director. And just over the last few months, I've founded the Opera Pod, where I chat to people from all different corners of the opera industry, chatting about the influences, the obstacles, what's shaped their journeys and how they found their unique operatic voice. Oh, amazing. We can't wait to dig into that and hear about everything that you do. Um, but we always ask our guests this question. Can you tell us what your first experience of opera was? Oh, so it was actually the first one that I worked on. So as a child, as a teenager, I hadn't seen any opera at all. I grew up in Wales, so I was surrounded by loads of music. There's always singing all the time. You're always in a choir, you're in an orchestra, you're in an ensemble, you're, you're just doing everything to do with music I was in the orchestra all of that um so I but I never actually we never went to the opera we were quite a musical family my dad was a musician but he didn't live with us and so I had experienced a lot of music um but then my first opera was when I was in my early 20s in London and I was the assistant director to a theatre director called John Wright he's an amazing theatre director he founded Told by an Idiot and Trestle which theatre people will know very well and he's an incredible mime director. Anyway, he was doing this contemporary opera called Arcane by a composer called Paul Clark. 
this is many, many years ago, and I was the assistant, and this is my first experience, so it was like this bonkers contemporary opera, and that was my first experience, and I absolutely loved it. That sounds incredible. I love the when you get thrown into the deep end of like something that's so out there, and then if you just clap onto one part of it, you're like, this is great, I need more of yeah, this. Yeah, exactly, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was sort of being this assistant director I'd never assisted before, I'd never seen an opera before, I was absolutely clueless, and I just learned, sort of learned on the job yeah that's amazing so as you said you are welsh born and bred um and you were and in the past you also worked with wno which for people who don't know is the welsh national opera can you tell us a bit about what it was like to work for them and how important is the wno for the welsh community yeah of course so well i am welsh born i'm not actually my parents are not welsh so i can't claim to be properly bred welsh my parents are english you might be able to hear with my accent anyway so i worked at wno quite a long time ago now i assisted on two very beautiful productions i assisted on um, La Boheme and Madame Butterfly, and uh, it was actually the staff director, they were both revivals, and they were um, revived by the staff director, Caroline Cheney, who's absolutely lovely, and they were, these two productions were my introduction to working in Wales for the first time, and what was the first thing that was so lovely was I was able to stay at home with my mum while we were rehearsing, which is the first time I'd ever been able to do that, so I was like back and then commuting to Cardiff, it's still quite quite away so that was just brilliant to be kind of at home and have that feeling of being looked after by your mum of course but um and that was only through part of the rehearsals when things got really serious I stayed in Cardiff um they were beautiful productions we had incredible singers we had in the Love OM for instance we had Rebecca Evans and Gwyn Hughes Jones and I just remember being so taken aback by the incredible singing that was going on and um, yeah, I just I just remember it being such an amazing experience of feeling like you're really at home because you hear Welsh spoken. Of course, I've always heard Welsh spoken from you know from when I went to school onwards. So it's you do have that feeling of kind of going home in a way. And I suppose, I mean, WNO is incredibly important. I think in terms of the portfolio of British opera companies, anyway. But you know, for each country to have its own opera company. And in terms of Wales, they also do a lot of touring. And, you know, there, there's only so much that the other companies can do. They can't cover the entirety of the UK. And WNO reaches quite far outside of Wales itself. So not only sort of bringing opera to the people in Wales that wouldn't otherwise have had it, but also, you know, covering the ground that perhaps ETO, Opera North are not able to cover. So I think, I mean, it's very much part of the Welsh identity I felt when I was there and an incredibly important part of the sort of opera portfolio companies. So yes, incredibly important is my answer to that. <laughs> very good answer. Um, so let's go back a little further. Um, and so you studied text and performance at RADA. Um, what did you set out to do originally from that? Or were you, did you always have your eyes set on opera directing? Do you know, I, I never had my eye set on opera directing. It was, I mean, I know a lot of people say this, oh, it was a complete accident. I was, I was a theatre person. So I did my first degree, my bachelor's, I did in drama at Exeter University. And kind of, I knew that I didn't want to be an actor when I was studying there, but I also knew that I wanted to be in the theatre. So I wasn't quite clear on what my role was going to be. And then by the end, by the end of my drama degree, I did one module in directing and it suddenly kind of all came together, like the understanding, the human conversation, the interaction, everything sort of drew together, the aesthetics, how everything looked, how the people reacted and 
and how they responded to each other and the status and the identity and you know the all the emotions everything that was tied up I was just absolutely fascinated by all of it so I think by the end of that it was a really short course towards the end of my degree and I mean I'm not quite answering your question but no um, it's interesting it was, <laughs> it's good it was during that time when we were directing each other, they were tiny scale things. Like we would direct like a monologue and you're just directing your fellow, you know, director. And then you would do like a duologue and that, and they were tiny. They were really, really small scenes, but it really allowed you to work in incredible detail on the real nuances of human conversation and human interaction. And I think that for me was just a really sort of eye-opening, really clear moment where I thought, no, this is, this is it, this is it. Um, so that was the kind of beginning of the directing bug. I mean, I was absolutely clueless when I came out of university. I definitely, I'd say, wasn't very confident in terms of thinking, oh, well, now I'm just going to come out and direct a show. Like, I did not have that type of that type of um, confidence, I suppose. And so I, I felt like I had to assist everyone to understand what this job was about and this and that and the other. And so I started assisting on the fringe, which in some ways is a good idea, but of course you get paid nothing. So you might, you know, if you're gonna go on the fringe, you might as well actually direct on the fringe because if you're gonna get paid nothing, you might as well at least, you know, get, get experience in the right <laughs> job, I suppose. But um, anyway, so I started that, but I still also wasn't really, really confident enough, really sure of myself. So that was why I then went on to RADA to do this text and performance. And they did actually, they also offer a directing degree, but it was much more expensive and I couldn't afford to do the directing course, although I did get a place in it. So that was a bit of a shame. So I did the text and performance and we kind of looked at every aspect of performance and theatre practitioners and I got a chance to do more directing. We did a lot of acting and I guess it kind of gave me a bit more feeling that I knew what I was, a bit more of a feeling that I knew what I was doing in a way. So I guess that's where the text and performance came from, that feeling of needing to learn more and needing to have more experience. Um, so I guess that was my replacement for doing a directing course in that way. And I did, I took over two, I took two years to do it because I did have to work all the way through to support my studies. It also wasn't, wasn't very, uh, wasn't very cheap, let's say. Yeah. So, <laughs> so as you, as it you hasn't gasp, gotten cheaper, you know. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> I know, and I'm sure Abby coming in as like a student not from the UK, I'm sure that's huge in, in, in your experience as well. Yeah, no, it's amazing how, I mean, especially here where you have the differentiation between students who are from here who pay a certain amount, and that is a lot. And then when you come in from abroad and you're paying even more and the financial support, especially if you, depends who you are and where you come from, is varies extremely between countries and country to country on how much they support their export of students like and it's just amazing to see the how expensive it is for students here but even for students from abroad you really have to either save up or have some way of paying for it especially in these careers where you're not sure when as you said when you're working in fringe you're not making any money and when you're not sure where the money's coming in from afterwards you're kind of like, okay, well, how am I ever going to pay this? Back? It's such a huge risk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I have so much respect for you coming over and doing that. It's amazing. <laughs> but on to that. So then from the text and drama, what was it that started to draw you towards opera? And how did you 
start directing opera? Well, that was a funny one. Again, it was a total accident. So like I was saying, I was in that kind of theatre zone and I did a course at the Royal Court Theatre in London. So it's like one of the great theatres of new writing. And it was a course for young directors at the time. And we were a group, I think we were about nine. And we worked with these amazing practitioners. They brought in writers, they brought in directors. We saw all the shows that were on at the Royal Court at that time. And we kind of spent a week in residence there and it was absolutely brilliant. And one of the other directors on that course was Vicky Jones, who people might know as the, she was the original director of Fleabag, the stage version of Fleabag. And she'd been assisting this director that I mentioned in the answer of your first question. So she'd been assisting John Wright on some theatre work. And he was about to direct this contemporary opera, Arcane, but she, and he'd asked her, but she said, I'm really sorry, I don't read music. So she just said to, you, to me, Nina, do you read music? And I said, yes. And she said, would you be interested in assisting this guy? Of course, you know, I was so clueless. I had no idea who anyone was. I didn't know who he was, what his work was about. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. So I went to meet John um, where he was living and we went out for lunch in Crouch End. And it was really funny because it was one of those situations where I went along kind of that I was being interviewed for the job and actually it turned out that I'd actually got the job by recommendation and we were just going out for a nice lunch so I was there like super super nervous like trying to prove myself or whatever and actually I had the job anyway because because kindly um, Vicky had recommended me for the role so I guess that was like that was my first experience and um, John was absolutely amazing and he he didn't write anything down he was like fully he worked very much in the body so I was sort of like his assistant director but also we were quite a small team so I was doing a bit of stage management when we took it to the theatre I was suddenly also the DSM and kind of so I was kind of and I think because I was so sort of green I didn't realise I think if I'd been more aware of it it would have terrified me but I was just like oh yeah I can do that oh yeah I'll do that that no that's fine I can call the show I can whatever um so yeah, so that was, so I think by, by that time, I guess I'd got the bug, like this contemporary opera was like totally crazy and bonkers and I just really loved it. And I suppose on a layer of, you know, that experience that I'd had at Exeter of feeling like everything came together, it was that suddenly having that music as the extra layer on top of the drama just like took it to another level. So I suppose for me, it was like not only bringing together all those things that I discovered that I loved about directing, but adding music, which was also such an important part of my life and my background and my upbringing anyway. So I, I suppose it sort of drew everything together. And I guess I got the bug in a way. And then I guess it felt like once you've done one thing in that, you sort of felt like you kind of felt like you were then capable of doing another thing. So then I sort of tentatively applied to assist on something else and then something else and and um, and I guess it grew sort of very slowly from there. It feels like everything was agonisingly slow, but but yeah, bit by bit. But totally worth it, I'm sure. <laughs> Good <Well>. experience. <laughs> I'm still I'm still hoping. I'm still hoping, Ash. <laughs> Brilliant. So next, we'd like to ask: uh, What is your process when you're working on a production? Oh, it's such a good question. And sometimes it changes every time. But generally, I just listen and listen and listen and listen over and over again. And I try to listen in different circumstances. So when you're walking, when you're pottering around the house and just kind of live in that musical world as long as you can. And sometimes you get visuals that like come into your mind's eye. I'm also one of those people that I really love to kind of sit down with the score and really break it down bit by bit just to really go over the story. Because I think sometimes 
when you're listening, you can kind of let the whole thing just wash over you and you don't, you kind of forget about the structure and the drama of it. So, so I do also like to really sit with the score and break it down and work like deeply on the translation and what is exactly being said, because like, let's not brush over that. So, you know, of course, sometimes the text is better than others, depending on the opera, but like really to get down to what the story is, what the, who those characters are and how it's being told. So I suppose living and listening with it. And then, I mean, getting out in, like getting out into the world and, you know, just experiencing all sorts of sort of different, I guess like going out and getting into the world in terms of like going to museums, going to exhibitions, like flicking through art books, going to libraries if you can, just really like, I guess, diving into different visual worlds. And sometimes something just kind of comes in as a parallel and you're like, that has to fit together, that has to work together. And you kind of see things lining up together somehow and it becomes, it starts to become clear. And also within that, I should not ignore, of course, um, if at the early stages of getting something you've already got a designer on board then like conversations and conversations and brainstorming with a, a designer I think is like obviously hugely crucial right from the very beginning from the first conversation because often like sometimes you'll have like just a tiny nugget of an idea and then a designer will run away with it in the most brilliant ever way that you wouldn't have thought of or something sometimes you've got a really clear idea and then the designer flips it on their head on its head in a way that you would never have thought of um, or sometimes you do have have a very clear idea that they pick up and they love and they run with it and go deep into it so I guess you've just got to be completely open both with the music with the drama what it's telling you how you want to present it in what world you want to be and just keep that dialogue going with the designer all, all the time um, so yeah I suppose that's how I, how I begin yeah you just said all the things that I really miss like more than anything is like the museum <laughs> yes. one of the theater the like reading Going to a library, there's a difference between reading a book at home and then reading a book in a library or like going to a museum and absorbing art that is like moving in front of you. It's different than like checking out art in an art book, although I have like several of them. <laughs> <laughs> I look through them all the time. I think, yeah. I think it's really important to stress there as well that it's about immersing yourself in it and it goes so much further than just the score that's in front of you. Um, and you mentioned the word clarity a lot as well. And I think, especially with opera newbies that go to the theatre and say they see Figaro, for example, the plot is so hard to follow. And I think the, the more that the director has, has clarity, it really makes a difference with the full production that you see on stage. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing with Figaro, it's like, oh, God, Jesus, what's in that letter? Hang yes. on, which one's that letter? Who's yeah. doing what? Like, you have to be so clear about that thing because, I mean, otherwise the audience doesn't stand a chance. And sometimes nobody yeah. nobody really remembers what's in them, but kind of it's good if you do know. Yeah, this kind of leads on from the previous question. You've mentioned going to museums and um, libraries and reading books and immersing yourself in the music, but what other influences and what other people have inspired you to create the operas that you then direct oh it's so fascinating because i'm sorry i, over, I really overuse fascinating i know that from my own podcast you have to cut that bit out <laughs> i guess like the first thing that really made my jaw drop in opera that i saw which i think to this day is one of the most amazing things i've ever seen was phila deloyd's peter grimes at opera north and i know that's to do with the piece as well as the director 
I think she is an absolute inspiration. I want to see everything she does. Um, I want to assist her. So, Philida, if you're listening, I'm here. No, but in all seriousness, so that was one of the first things that I think really, I mean, I remember kind of watching it and just being aware that my jaw had literally dropped, you know, like in a kind of cartoon type way. And it was like an out-of-body experience because I didn't realise it was happening. It was just a response to the staging and the... Uh, the music and the drama that was kind of so well tied together in that production. So that was definitely one of the sort of earlier things that I remember seeing and it really impacted me. I mean, I often just, I really enjoy snapshots of everyone's product. I mean, not everyone's production, of course you can't like everything, but you'll like watch a David McVicker production and really love the, the delightful detail and interaction that he's he's worked in, not only with the characters, but also with the, you know, with the actors. Um, I would be watching and I've worked with lovely Christopher Alden, who is so intense and asks so much of his performers and gets something so heightened and extreme. So I would just really enjoy that kind of heightened level of Christopher Alden craziness. I guess, hmm. I'm trying to think of like there's so so many directors and often there'll just be a scene or I'll just really respect I, I'll watch a Tim Albury production and just really admire the way he's worked with the chorus so I think I tend to kind of look at snapshots of moments of, of different directors all the time I mean Katie Mitchell and how forensically she deals with a piece dive, diving right in showing you so many layers that you might never have imagined um, you know, I guess there's almost too many people to round up, but I always take something from a production, I think, because I, there are so many of them, I can't, I'm sorry, I probably haven't captured them all very well in that, but yeah, <laughs> I guess a variety, let's say a variety. I love how everyone comes back to Britain. Everyone that we interview has some form of relationship with a Britain production, because just what those operas do and like the way people are able to direct them, because they're so... I guess close to what we consider as like regular theater for today. Like it's just everyone always says, "Oh, Peter Grimes, uh, Billy Budd, <laughs> Midsummer Night's Dream." We've had so many loves oh. of we're huge Britain fans as well. Yeah. So oh, like, massively! Yes, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, amount of times too. we've asked over on the podcast, you know, what's what's your favorite Britain production, and the answers come flooding in. Everyone loves them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that would be really hard. What's your favourite Britain production? Oh my gosh. I don't think I could answer. I mean, I suppose I've said one, but there are so many that spring to mind. So many. Yes. <laughs> um. So we are hosting this podcast today over Zoom, sadly because of the pandemic and coronavirus. But one lovely thing, um, to happen during the pandemic was that you officially became an opera mum. So congratulations on that. And we've had many, <laughs> we've had many uh, opera mums come and join us here on the podcast. Um, so can you tell us what your experience has been like so far of freelancing with your little one by your side? Oh, well, do you know, it's funny. And I, I, I suppose I can't really say that I've been freelancing because I've kind of been on maternity leave all this time. <laughs> I mean, obviously I've had my opera pod on the side, but it's been funny, like having a baby in a pandemic with, in another country with no family close by, I will say it's an incredibly isolating experience. Mm. And I'm very lucky because I've got a lot of friends who are close, you know, we're not necessarily seeing each other. I've got a lot of friends in the UK and here and all over the world, but it, it is a very odd experience to go through and sort of something like that, not to have your mum there is really tough. 
Um, but the brilliant thing that's come from it, I suppose, is that there's a little baby running around now. He's nearly a year, so that's amazing. And I think I probably would never have found the time to do the podcast. If I'd been full-time at Opera Frankfurt and trying to juggle freelance projects, I think I would never have found the time. And I'm, I don't know how I found, found the time with him around anyway. But I think like it just gives you that little bit of space that you can use your time that's not like fully taken up by morning rehearsals. We rehearse in the evenings here in Germany as well. So it has been amazing. But what's been really strange about it is that um, you kind of feel like there's there's so much going on. There's so much like virtual opera and filmed opera and this and that and the other. You sort of feel like it's all happening in a in a sort of another room somewhere, and that you're kind of slightly outside of it, which is such a strange feeling. And I'm sure that's how a lot of people feel because not everyone is working on something. I know, but it is it's a really a strange feeling. I would say that. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's kind of perfect timing to have a kid right at the beginning of the pandemic because you've had so much time to spend getting to know him um, in that sense. But were there any worries about getting pregnant with a freelance directing role on, as, as your career as a freelance director, was there any worry about finding the time or waiting because we always hear the conversation about oh you shouldn't have one now you should wait you should um if you want then you can't do either or you have to pick and it's a generational thing that might be changing but have you found that it wasn't what people like stereotypically say do you know it's it's funny i think i didn't actually think about it until until i had him and then i suddenly got that feeling of like oh my God, how am I going to be able to go on tour? How am I going to be able to go and direct a show somewhere else? And like, I am determined that that will happen, but I do know it's going to be so much harder. And I think, strangely, I think beforehand, I didn't really th- I didn't really think about it. I don't know why. I didn't really kind of think about that kind of realm. And there is, of course, a reason that there are so few female opera directors. There are even fewer female directors who have children. You know, it's... You know, you notice as, as people get further and further, the fewer they are. Um, and yeah, I think the family is, is a huge part of it. And we can't, we unfortunately can't deny that. And I think it just means we have to kind of work twice as hard and get as much support as we can to be able to allow um, that, uh, allow it to happen and to make sure that the career goes forwards. But I think I would say, I would say don't wait. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, good answer. <laughs> Since the pandemic started, in addition to having a baby, you also started another pandemic baby, if you may, um, by starting the Opera Pod, which is your podcast. Can you tell us a bit what inspired you to start the podcast? I think I was so bored of hearing the old trope that opera is for posh, rich people, which of course we've all heard. And I wanted to show that opera was made by people of all different backgrounds and that it's not made by posh people for posh people. And of course it can be a middle and upper middle class career and we're all aware of that. And I guess it's just important to show that it's not only those people that are making it but it's a huge variety of people and the talent I suppose can come from anywhere you don't you don't you know even if you have money and privilege you don't necessarily have talent and it's the talent that kind of comes to the surface through all that through all that and I think because I've met such an extraordinary variety of people through my work you know someone whose dad was a truck driver and it doesn't matter because they're singing and they're doing something completely different and I suppose 
it was just kind of exploring these people's lives and what what shaped them and the difficulties and how they got to where they got to how they negotiated their way and how they kind of manage their way sort of with their you know having the right kind of mindset getting through really difficult times battling through the obstacles and of course like the amazing high points that we've all experienced as well when we when we're anything to do with working on the stage so i guess it was just to do with kind of mining people's journeys and finding out what shaped them what it was that influenced them how they kind of battled through because I think everyone probably does have their battle as well as their kind of high points even if they've got you know what seems on the surface like an amazing career it's always really fascinating you know to hear what's gone you know the kind of paddling that's going on underneath all that so I think I I wanted to kind of show all those you know all the different variety of people and and of course also to showcase some women and some people that you know gender non-conforming people who are also you know here on the opera scene and not seen enough um so i think just having a really interesting representation of people working on every different aspect of performance and i you know i also need to be careful because we have had of course within the mix some very privileged people within that and i really need to be careful that i look at every different side of it so um i am working on that and actually i've, I've been told off because i wasn't i wasn't bringing in the men quick, quickly enough so i am bringing in some male singers <laughs> i promise we always find that we always find that <laughs> so much easier to get in contact with the women because there are women events and there's like women networks and stuff like that so we always get to the issue we're like um we haven't had a man on in four in four episodes <laughs> where yeah. are we gonna where how do we reach them <laughs> where are they <laughs> And I guess the final thing to say is also that I'm incredibly nosy. So it allowed me, you know, it gave me permission to ask all those questions that I've been dying to ask to all the people that I'm fascinated by. It gives, yeah, it gives them the microphone that they have Absolutely. to answer and you can ask whatever Exactly. You want. I'm preparing some really difficult questions for a friend of mine at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, we really love your podcast and, and you do get down to the nitty gritty. You ask your guests what... Um, what's their favourite part of the opera industry, what do they loathe about it, and what they would do to change it. Um, as a pivot from that, can you describe to us the perfect opera team to work with? Oh, it's such a difficult question. I guess I was talking a bit earlier about the importance of the designer, and I think that's your number one relationship, is that first relationship that you have with the designer. And I think it's just, you know, a collaborator who's totally open, who's totally imaginative, has an incredible vision. And, you know, like I was talking about earlier, perhaps has the ability to flip an idea on its head or take it to another extreme or really think differently, think completely out of the box um, and sort of reverse all your expectations about what you think you might want. And I think just having someone with like an incredible mind and imagination in that way is so important in that role. Um, and then in the room, I guess, I mean, I'm a huge collaborator and I love collaborating with people and I love creating a really warm, safe, hopefully, environment in the rehearsal room. So I'm all about people who can be open with each other, who can communicate really clearly. And that's not to say, you know, I, do, I am a person that likes to keep the peace and have a lovely time, but I think also it's really important to be able to have disagreements and to be able to have conflicts and to be able to come, to come through the other side. So I am always happy to have challenges and to have those difficult conversations and come out the other side, because I think sometimes it is nice, you know, we can all have a really lovely time during our rehearsals, 
but then actually where you know we don't always create the best work out of those times and sometimes when the process has been a bit more difficult and you have had some kind of obstacles to work through with your team who are you know with the conductor who might not think about something in the same way or you know with a movement director who maybe has another idea or you know I mean I guess that would hopefully be a really collaborative relationship as well but I think just just not to say, you know, let's all have a lovely time and be going out for lunch and having nice glasses of wine. Like, yes, we want to do that too. But let's not avoid having the difficult conversations that gets us to the place of the best performance that we can have. So I think people who are prepared to be brave, who are prepared to stand up for what they think. And I think I feel like that very strongly in singers as well. You don't necessarily want, like, of course, you want someone who's open to you know, to bring the best out of a role and bringing their own ideas to a role, but also people that when when you make suggestions to them that they're not certain about that and they're not sure about that. And then you really, I guess they really um, then challenge what your ideas are about a, a character. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. You get the input from them and from you and you come to the, you know, the best possible solution, the best possible sort of portrayal of a role in that way so I guess so the collaboration on one side but also the ability to challenge on another side and yeah yeah I think that's it I'm sure there's like a thousand other things as well I've forgotten but those things that come there's to some mind. definite definite good quotes <laughs> there to come from that and the other thing I try to do which some people have sort of said oh I really like that you do that is I try to always say at the beginning of the rehearsal like what I'm hoping to get done in that day so like what I'm hoping to get done by the break and then what I'm hoping to get done afterwards and um I mean it seemed I guess I did it naturally but people said to me oh that's actually really you know they really appreciated it because then they're on the same page and they kind of understood what you're kind of aiming for and you're not just sort of meandering through wondering you know when the break is (laughs) and when you're going to get to the next bit I mean (laughs) as as someone who teaches kids a lot that's always the first thing that they say like let the kids know what your what the schedule is and when I was teaching in the states you would have to write on the whiteboard like this is our day schedule and you'd be like oh okay I hated to do it because I was like I don't want the kids to keep asking what time is it what time is it but actually like they then learn structure and they learn how to like come and that's the same thing like it's creating an even playing field for everyone in the room yeah, I once assisted a brilliant, he was a revival director there, Peter Relton was working at Opera North and I assisted him a couple of times and he was brilliant at scheduling rehearsals and he'd work it out really well and then run this run this lovely long section just before the break and everyone would, you'd, you know, they'd be like beavering away, working really hard, then have this lovely long stretch of a run and then it was a break time and it was kind of like, it just felt so well laid out and I think I learned a lot from him in that way of kind of structuring things pretty well. Amazing. You will soon be returning to your role as staff director at Frankfurt Opera. Can you tell us a little bit about why Opera Frankfurt is so special and what you are most looking forward to in this coming season? The first thing I can't wait to get back to is the amazing ensemble of singers that we've got at Opera Frankfurt. So they're an incredibly special group of people and I just can't wait to be working with them again. I mean, of course, within this climate, we're not performing anything live right now. Um, So goodness knows what that's gonna look like. Colleagues of mine have been directing live stream concerts. They've been doing films. There's been all sorts of fascinating things. So I guess I'm just looking forward to jumping back into whatever gets thrown at me there but you know kind of in the more long term I'm looking forward to getting back to that feeling of collaboration in the rehearsal room the you know running around dressing rooms before a stage rehearsal giving all the notes that first time you hear the orchestra you know all those kind of first you know always never having enough time to get everything done running around to like ask for things to be done by different departments all the time um 
yeah, just to, to be with my colleagues, to go for a cup of tea in the canteen, to go for a glass of wine after a show, all those amazing things I can't wait to go back for. And yeah, we're, we're lucky at Orbe Frankfurt. We do have an amazing group of people and an amazing family feeling. So yeah, very much looking forward to that. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. <laughs> that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a lot of um, you know young artists listening to, to this podcast, many of whom are itching to get back into the rehearsal room and auditioning and all of that. So um, could you share some advice uh, to young directors or just opera lovers in general, um, young artists who are just starting out? Definitely. I mean, I guess my experience is obviously in the directing area, but I would say um to always be brave and to to start doing things perhaps before you feel like you're ready to do things because i think sometimes we hold ourselves back in that way i know i certainly did and i feel like don't perhaps get stuck if you can afford it don't get stuck in assisting for too long i know i'm i'm saying that i am also still assisting but but you can get if you do want to direct you can get very caught up in assisting and assisting and having a very very nice time assisting working in these amazing houses but i think it's easy to to stay there and not move on so particularly look after yourself um don't rely on anyone else to look after your career for you've got to do that for yourself really and truly no one is you know you will work at these houses and you will feel at home and they will love you but look out for yourself um it is all about the work it's all about your work try not to look at what other people are doing try not to compare yourself it's really really hard if the work isn't coming to you i would say create your own work try and bring a team of people together yourself put it on on whatever scale self-produce if you have to um do what you have to do to bring those things together because sometimes the work isn't you know the doors aren't knocking for you and you have to create those opportunities for yourself whatever they are um, those ideas, I would say, those little ideas that keep on returning to you and coming back to you, they're coming back for a reason. Make sure you listen to those ideas because they're the important ones. And sometimes you'll notice if you don't pay attention to those ideas that someone else will be doing that thing. And it's almost like these ideas live in a world of their own and they'll get sort of, they'll just move on to somebody else. So, so listen to those ideas. I think they're really important. There you go. That's my that's my potted thought. I don't know how helpful that is for young singers. I mean, if you have a, a specific question for young that, that relates to young singers, I could probably answer that as well. That was actually extremely helpful to young singers as well. I thought. I think the idea of not being your own worst critic all the time, but actually pushing yourself out there is really important. I think us singers are always worried about the perfectionism of what is the what what is the main goal, and we have to be that perfect at the end. And as well as just the ideas thing, like, trust your ideas because it's something that, like, you have to listen to. You, it's your body is telling you to do something. You really need to trust it. Yeah. 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 And I guess I should be careful, and perhaps you should include this bit if you like, to be to be careful to say, like, start doing things before you're ready. I don't mean that, obviously, in terms of roles, singing roles before you're ready or anything like that. For singers, like, that is a different thing entirely and not my area, but... But you, you no, I, 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 we'll leave this in. But like the idea of it's not only about I mean, I'm someone who's always been very nervous about putting myself out there. And it's one of those things where if you start becoming your own worst critic, even though you're doing the right things for your age, just if, trust yourself that you're doing on the right path and that you are going to get to the right thing. And roles are different than actually going to audition for things when you're ready instead of just 
waiting for yeah. I'm not gonna audition until I'm ready to do Wagner well you may never be ready to do Wagner just find what works for your voice right now and do that I think that's what you were talking about right yeah, yeah exactly and it's really interesting you were just saying then about your your you feel like you're not good at putting yourself forwards because in in your sort of online content creation you're brilliant at putting yourself forwards is that something do you think only yeah, for only singing for, yeah no it, I find that um I think we've spoken about this, Ashley and I have spoken about this, the idea of putting yourself out there for singing, there's so much more pressure for that, whereas content creating, I really started it before anyone else was doing it, so it doesn't feel like the same kind of criticism, and that's really like, there's nothing to judge myself or live up to, because there's no, there was nothing out there when I started. But, um, back to this podcast. Back to, back to sorry, yes. We can keep talking afterwards. <laughs> that is some great advice. Um, can you actually tell um, our listeners where they can find you and your projects if they would be interested? Of course. Um, so I'm ninabrazier.co.uk online. I'm also theoperapod.com and I'm on every social media platform, I guess, except for Facebook. So I'm on Instagram with both of them and Twitter with both of them. And yeah, Facebook, I gave up. Clubhouse, I just joined. Oh, That's fun. Oh, we, we haven't started Clubhouse yet. We're very confused about it. You've got to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll check that out and we'll definitely keep an eye on all of your um, upcoming projects uh, at the Frankfurt Opera, for sure. I'll keep, I'll keep you posted, girls. Thank you for having me. is ever wondered which character from opera you would be in real life so this is quite exciting to discover who our inner opera character is right now um so let's start the quiz yes what kind of ruler would you be i just have to say the graphics on this one are really funny a tyrant i don't want any responsibility a totalitarian dictator a social democrat I don't care. I do whatever I want. An anarchist chain chain fitting. An That's anarchist. It. A Republican president. Mm. I feel like I would be a social democrat. I'm gonna go with. Um, I don't care. I do whatever I want. Just because the picture for that is from Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Which opera would you choose to see tonight? Ooh. Rose and Cavalier, Macbeth, Lohengrin. Yeah. Uh, Salome, Carmen, De Freischutz, Posca, Un Ballo in Mascara. These are hard. I know what you're going to say. I, I think, I know what you think I'm going to say, but I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I feel like with the heat uh-huh. and the day that we've had, Yes. I feel like I'm going to go, not Tosca, mm-hmm. but Salome. Okay. All right. Good for you. Um, what about you? I will go Tosca. <laughs> Although Rosen Cavalier would have been a really close second, just because I love that one. Ooh! Ooh nice. Come on then. What musical soundtrack would best describe you? The Godfather, Requiem for a Dream, definitely not. That movie gives me nightmares still. The Wizard of Oz, love that. Star Wars, Emile, I love that movie. Lord of the Rings, Footloose, or The Bodyguard. Ooh! Easy for me, I'm going Wizard of Oz. Come on, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to say Emile. Okay. Emily. What destination would you choose for a vacation? Backpacking across Europe, a cottage in the mountains, a busy city like New York, Tokyo, or London. Uh, Paris. Mm. I don't do vacations. 
An island. Hmm. Hmm. I'm <laughs> definitely not busy city. No, I feel like I need to be. We live that every day. Um, I'm going for either a cottage in the mountain or Paris. Okay, I'm going an island. And you just—that's just the. Just you know what? I kind of feel like I could want to. I kind of feel like I really would want the cottage in the mountains. I just want to like a fire, mm. a dog. <laughs> okay, I'm going an island. What's your drink of choice? Coffee. Okay, this one's easy for us. Wait, what? Okay, because listen, okay, coffee, cocktails, I don't drink, magic brew, champagne, ale, or whiskey. Where's the tea? <laughs> Sorry, Abby. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really fancying coffee right now. After the day we've had, I'm going to go for cocktails in the sun. Uh, cocktails, mmm. Maybe champagne. I feel like you can always use a champ- glass of champagne. Yeah. We're probably going to get really different answers this time. Yeah. Oh, okay, wait, this is one of my favorite questions in the world. I love asking this to people. What historical period would you like to experience? The Middle Ages. Ha! I can go wherever I want in both time and space, fool! (laughs) The 1970s. The Age of Enlightenment. The Victorian Age. The 1920s. There's no such thing as time. Okay, that's such a COVID response. There's no such thing as time. Yeah. um, What? I'm going to go with the 20s. You're going to go with the 20s? Yeah. I am, I wish they had the Edwardian period, because that's like, I love the Edwardian period, but I'm going to go the Victorian age. Oh, this is a hard one. Oh, oh gosh. Okay, which conductor would you prefer to work with? Okay, Daniel Barenboim, uh, George Salty, Herbert von Karajan, uh, Ricardo Muti, René Jacobs, Wilhelm Furtwangler. Wangler. Um, I'm going to actually say Schulte. Oh, I'm going to go uh, Barenboim. All right. All right, okay, at last, but not least, which one of these cats do you like? Okay, so we've kind of, just to describe to our listeners, we've basically got a cute cat v an angry cat. Yeah. Um, Like a tabby cat v like a, I don't know how to describe that cat. Which cat are you going for? I'm going to go for the smiley one with the funny eyes. Okay, I'm going to go for the other one because okay. it's blonde. Okay. <laughs> Let's switch, 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 switch. switch. Oh. oh, right. Okay. I can actually see you singing this role. So, Ashley, I think you actually love this role. I have a feeling. But you've got Manonosco yeah. by Puccini. Also, yes, I do. I could, I could, I would like to sing that role. You can also do the, um, la, 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 the Masne one. You can think mm-hmm. either or. Mm-hmm. Manon is probably the most enchanting girl there is. She bedazzles everyone around her with her looks, her charm, and her flirtatious gestures. Ooh. <laughs> she is the center of attention in every party. Still, she longs for the luxurious life of privilege and wealth, and her hunger for diamonds and pearls prevents her from choosing the love of her life. Oh. She starts off with a condition to make a successful and happy life, but ends up being imprisoned and dying in the desert as a result of many bad decisions. Oh, Go dear. figure. I mean, the first part. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all the diamonds, one for diamonds and prettiness and all of that. Yeah, enchanting. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool, but Avi, I can't see you singing in this role because it is Figaro. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> okay, so Figaro is here, there, everywhere. He's the man for the job, no matter what. <laughs> he cuts his hair, fixes your love problems, he creates the perfect schemes and is witty uh, and nonchalant while doing it, using cunning and creativity to get through life. 
I guess cool. that is yeah. Me. yeah. He is the prime example of the self-made man of the Age of Enlightenment. He needs no fortune or titles to be happy and lets nobody mess around with his right to be a free man, a true revolutionary and idealist. You know what? I, I will take that. I do like that. That is very similar to my personality. But I just That's can't cool. stand Figaro anymore. <laughs> enough. Enough of Figaro. Enough. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for playbuzz.com for that quiz. It will be linked in the description of the podcast. So go check it out and let us know what your character is. Well, 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 well. It is time for a brand new shanking span shiny. That sounded weird. But... Segment. It's called Composer of the Month, where we get to introduce you to a marvelous new composer. And this month, it is. I'm kidding. It is Anna Appleby. So take it away, Anna. Hi, my name is Anna Appleby. I'm a composer based in Manchester. I love to collaborate with other artists, so I tend to write for opera and dance, so I can work with choreographers, writers, uh, designers, directors, all those kinds of people. Um, and I love the theatre. So the pieces that I've chosen to share are all vocal pieces for that reason. I'm currently creating an opera with poet Niall Campbell, which will be premiered by the BBC Philharmonic and RNCM Singers in 2022. And it's funded by the Northwest Consortium Doctoral Training Partnership as part of an RNCM and MMU Collaborative Doctoral Award. Wow, that was a mouthful. But anyway, it's a fantastic PhD opportunity and it just consolidates all of my work in opera previously and my love of collaboration. I also make electronic music and I experiment with lots of different styles and genres. I love working with dancers and I will have some more dance work coming up soon. I'm also one composer in residence at Glyndebourne as part of their Balancing the Score scheme for female composers. This is an excerpt from my chamber opera Citizens of Nowhere that I wrote in 2016 and it was premiered in 2017 by soprano Helen Lacey, soprano Anne Wilkes and mezzo-soprano Emma Wheeler who are all my friends and colleagues in Manchester. We premiered the opera at Tete-a-Tete Opera Festival in London in August 2017 and it was choreographed by Dane Hurst who is now the director of Phoenix Dance Theatre in Leeds. The production was funded by Arts Council Grants for the Arts and it also received private sponsorship from several different donors and crowdfunding. So it was a really exciting project to manage and create and it has contributed to my work in opera now. Citizens of Nowhere is a political allegory. It also follows the story of three islanders and their struggle with the mainland. At the end of the opera, they have some kind of reconciliation and a decision to move onwards. And this is the excerpt that I've chosen to share.
this week's podcast. Thank you so, so much to Nina and, of course, to our composer of the week, Anna Appleby. You can check both of their links down in the description box below. I have to sneeze. Hold on one sec. Anyway, so thank you so much to both of them, and definitely check out their links. If you would like to check out our links, make sure you like and rate and subscribe this podcast. Yes, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at aaopperpod at gmail.com or just drop us a DM on all social media platforms. And if you really loved the podcast, then we'd really love it for you to check out our Patreon. We have some really exciting things on there coming up soon. So that is www.patreon.com slash aaopera. And that is us. We are AA Opera everywhere. So come check us out and we will see you next, next week. week. Bye! Bye. Huh. That was, was 65 so episodes it took for us to do that properly. <laughs>